Well, this last year, uh, the UCLA men's basketball team traveled to China. And this wasn't just for a basketball tournament. It was also seen as a goodwill journey between the United States, UCLA, and the country of China. Well, while in China, three members from the UCLA men's basketball team went into an upscale shopping mall and were later arrested for shoplifting from three different stores. The players were kept in custody while the rest of their team returned to the United States. President Trump, who was actually in Asia at the time, interceded on behalf of the basketball players and they were soon released and returned home. The incident, which I'm sure many of you heard, drew international attention and debate. It was considered an embarrassment for our country, for college sports, and especially for UCLA, the prestigious college. The three basketball players were suspended from the team for the entire season. In such a situation, they not only failed themselves, but they misrepresented their country, they misrepresented their school, and they also really hurt their team. Anyone who's ever played on a sports team or worked for a company understands this idea of representing something bigger than yourself and representing it well. Our actions reflect the whole team, the whole company, the whole family. Perhaps you had a parent or a coach that told you that when you were a kid. Remember, what you do reflects not just yourself, but it reflects the family, the team. I had a number of coaches who talked to me that way. This is very much the idea behind Peter's thinking in our text this morning. Conduct yourselves honorably so that the Gentiles, the non-believers, may see your deeds and glorify God. Jesus actually says virtually the same thing in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before all people that they may see your good deeds and glorify God who is in heaven. Live in such a way that those around you, that those interacting with you, get excited about Jesus. Get excited about God. Life beyond reproach, as Paul says. And such a life includes, as Peter talks about in our text this morning, obeying the laws of the land, accepting the authority of human institutions. I really like how the message paraphrases verse 13. Make the master proud by being good citizens. Why is this important? Why is it important? Because our greatest concern in our work, in our school, in our families, with our neighbors, is that they see in us the embodiment of Jesus Christ. 
We never give people a reason to discredit the gospel. We don't steal. We don't kill. We don't abuse. We don't commit hate crimes. We do nothing that prevents anyone from seeing the love of God. In fact, the only time it is acceptable to break the law is when the law requires us to disobey God. Harboring Jews in Germany during the Second World War would have been against the law, but our allegiance always goes to Jesus Christ first and foremost before kings or czars or emperors or even a president. In Acts, Peter and John are ordered to stop preaching the gospel, but they refuse. In Joshua 2, Rahab is commanded by the king to turn over two Jewish spies that she's been harboring, but she does not. In Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego disobey the direct command of the king, and they refuse to worship a golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar. As Christians, our primary allegiance always belongs to God. But whenever possible, and in most instances, we are to obey the laws of the land, be good citizens, and we are to treat all people with dignity and respect. We read in verse 17, honor everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. As I said a couple of weeks back in my sermon, to fear God is actually a form of worship and reverence. We are to fear living a life apart from the will of God. We are to be afraid of missing out on life with God. But we fear no one else. We fear nothing else. Not the emperor, not a governor, not a president, but we honor everyone. Verse 17 is actually a remarkable statement by Peter. We're told to honor the emperor just as we are told to honor everyone else. In one sentence, Peter flattens the Roman social structure where the emperor is on top with godlike status, but the person who seemingly has no status in society, we are to treat that person with the same dignity and respect as we would the emperor or a king or a president. Christians honor everyone, but we fear no one. This should challenge us. We're to show everyone dignity. Honor everyone. The Greek word for honor is actually the equivalent of the Hebrew word from the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. Respect everybody. That includes 49ers fans. (laughs) We respect everyone. Democrat. Republican, liberals, conservatives, Muslims, Hindus, Mormons, black, 
brown, white, male, female, gay, straight, respect everyone, period. Notice the period. For each person has, be crea- has been created in the image of the holy. It's a lot of us that need to take this to heart. This should challenge how we talk to each other, how we talk about each other. This should challenge how we talk about politics and ethics and family and religion. As Christians, we show everybody respect because we want every single person to see and experience the love of God. Always remember who you represent. Always remember who you are. Read verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. We are called the beloved, aliens and exiles. This is terminology that Peter has been repeating again and again throughout the letter. He is trying to burn into our skulls our true identity, claim it, grasp it. When you hold those three titles together, beloved, aliens, exiles, we're reminded once more that we are to live differently than the culture around us. We honor everyone. We are resident aliens. We have different values. We have different goals. We have a different hope. And the key differentiator for us is held within that first title, beloved. Agapetos, from agape. As you may recall, there are three primary words from the New Testament that describe love. There's eros, which is an exotic or erotic kind of love. Phileo, which is a family love, an affectionate love. And then there is agape that holy, godly love. It's the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a passage we hear so often at weddings. Agape love is patient, kind, not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Agape love never ends, the scriptures tell us. Peter calls us agapetos, the beloved. We're beloved because we are loved by God, but also because we live the life of love. That is what makes us different, aliens, exiles. Agape is that same word that Peter uses in verse 17, love, agape, the family of believers. We are different because we love. And we're different because, as Peter says in verse 11, we are to abstain 
from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. It's important for us to unpack this language because at first glance we might misinterpret what Peter means by desires of the flesh. Desire and flesh are words that historically have a bad connotation in the history of the church. They're naughty words, right? Bad and desire. There have been generations of Christians raised to think that desire, all desire is bad, and that flesh is somehow evil. But when Peter, and Paul for that matter, when he uses the term, talk about flesh, they aren't talking about our bodies as evil. That's actually a heresy known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism, which has been around since the beginning of the church, wrongly teaches that all matter, including the human body, is evil. This is not the teaching of Scripture, and this is not the teaching of the church. Our bodies are actually good, created by God to glorify God. Desire is something that God gives us. It's when those desires are misplaced that they turn bad. What Peter and Paul mean by desires of the flesh, they mean those natural impulses that bring about pain, that bring about destruction, either to ourselves or our family members or our neighbors. Desires of the flesh are the desires that are harmful and unhealthy. We all can understand what it's like to have harmful cravings, and I'm not just talking about ice cream in the middle of the night, which people continue to tell me is a harmful craving, and I'm, I'm growing, it's getting better. <laughs> I've been drinking LaCroix drinks that are like flavored water instead, it's good. It's not quite the same, but... No, we get this, right? We know what desires are destructive. We understand this. A desire to hurt someone, to retaliate when they offend us, either verbally or physically, or the way we talk about them to other people. A sexual desire for someone who is not our spouse, that's destructive. A desire to take something, that does not belong to us. Or a desire that feeds some kind of false idea that somehow I'm better than other people or somehow I deserve something that they have. And of course, the ultimate desire of the flesh, the desire that tripped up Adam and Eve, the desire to be like God. Worshipped. Admired in complete control. Such desires are destructive, and Peter tells us to abstain from them. Because you see, it's going to hurt you. They wage war against the soul. The word there is actually psyche. It's not just your spirit. It's the whole self. You're hurting yourself when you feed such desires. Abstain from destructive desires and conduct yourselves 
honorably among the Gentiles. Conduct yourself honorably among non-believers so that they may see your good deeds and praise God. This means we actually need to be around non-believers. The church has a tendency to be one big clique, an exclusive club that thinks that people should come to us. Let it not be so. We need to be rubbing shoulders with folks who do not know Christ because, and I get it, this is a radical idea, but that's how they come to know Christ, is when the church is physically manifested in the world. Remember what Paul says in Romans 10. How are they to believe if they have not heard? How are they going to hear if no one will proclaim? How is someone to proclaim unless one is sent? Friends, we are the sent ones, each and every one of us, not just some of us. And not just to Africa. Not just to the Dominican Republic, but to Safeway to the bank, to the gym, to school, to the places we work, the places we learn, the places we teach. And I get it, it's tricky for some of us. You can't be a public school teacher and evangelize openly in the classroom. You can't be an executive for a corporation and talk about Jesus during a company meeting. But you can always Always show the love of God. You could be strategic about when and where you talk about the love of God. And in truth, in much of our text this morning, we witness with our deeds, as Peter says, that they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God. Friends, we are the church. We gather once a week to pray, to worship, to fellowship, to be strengthened and encouraged, and then we are sent out into the world. The very purpose of our benediction is this idea of being sent to be love, to be hope within the world, wherever God may send you. We act honorably, Not so that people will be impressed with us, which if we admit it, we all like that. But we act honorably that they might be impressed with God. I had a friend who went into a men's department store to purchase a suit. He'd actually already ordered the suit. He had paid for it. He had been measured. And now he was just there to pick it up. When he arrived, he patiently stood there waiting, very kind, very gracious, and he was ignored by the employees. Other folks came in after him and were attended to first. And then once someone looked at him, they got his name, his information, they said, okay, I'll be right back. I'm going to go into the back and get your suit. And the, the employee went into the back and just never came back, just like left. 
My friend continued to just wait patiently and be gracious and be kind. Then another employee came over and kind of seen what had been happening and got his name and went into the back and came to the front and said, the suit's not there. I don't know where it is. It's missing. Then they started to call some other stores to try and figure out what happened. The whole process took nearly two hours And he was there just to pick up a suit. One of the employees came up to him and had been watching what had occurred. And the employee says, you know, I've been working here for a long time. And I've never seen anyone be as gracious and as patient as you've been. Thank you so much. My friend just looked at the employee and said, you know, I'm I'm not naturally a patient person. but I'm a Christian. And then he started talking about the love of God and how God had been patient with him in so much of his life, standing in the middle of a department store, talking about the love of God to someone that he seemingly has every right to be upset with, and yet he does not. He doesn't take credit, but he gives it back to God. We represent God. Our greatest concern in life is that the world see the love of God. That's why we do this. That's what this is all about. As the church... We may not agree on everything. (laughs) We don't. Politics, theology, conduct. But one thing we can agree on, one thing we must agree on, is that the most important thing is that the world see Christ in us. That's what it's all about. It always has to come back to that. We represent Jesus in this world. And friends, Walk down the street. Go visit a school. This town of Marysville, they need more Jesus representatives. They need hope. We're not doing this just because we're Christian for the sake of being legalistic and following all the rules. We're doing this because the world desperately needs to see the embodiment of God's love. It's so worth it. We can always agree on that. Let us represent Christ well in this world in love and grace and truth. Let's pray.